classic MBA programs, if you ask them why you should pay 150k for an education, the answer will be because we have the best content. Okay, but like the content that you have is books that you recommend me to read, which I can buy on Amazon and stuff that you have in your online education platform anyway. So why do I pay 150? And then they say, yeah, it's actually the network and the peer groups you learn from. My name is Ish Bade, and I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually. And I'm Will Manin. I'm course director at Forte Academy. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss the future of education, including online courses, boot camps, and how the internet is changing how we learn. Hey, Reshaping Education listeners. This is a rebroadcast of one of the talks that was hosted at the Reshaping Education Summit earlier this year. This was a conversation with Andreas Klinger, the CTO of OnDeck, and we discussed the rise of remote learning. I hope you enjoy. Well, Andreas, so great. I was actually just about to introduce your, you, but you know, I thought it, it would be better coming from the horse's mouth. Okay. Tell us, introduce yourself, Andreas. Hey, uh, horse here. <laughs> um, so uh, I have a very long, very confusing CV. I'm like, in startup terms, I'm pretty much ancient by now. Uh, like double digit age, essentially, born last century. The, the, more, the shorter and more interesting summary of my, my CV is I was founding team and CTO at Product Hunt which is a company where basically startups get launched. And we sold to another company called AngelList, which is kind of like the LinkedIn for startups, if you want. Um, at the at LinkedIn, uh, sorry, at AngelList, I led multiple teams around uh, product engineering again, focusing primarily on global work. And I started a small fund on the side called uh, Remote First Capital, where I primarily invest in opportunities because of global work, where uh, education is a huge one, obviously. Um, and uh, since last year, I think September, uh, I joined one of my investments, which is OnDeck, which is essentially a remote accelerator for careers and founders. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, and uh, Andreas, uh, we're lucky to have Andreas as one of our investors at Virtually. Uh, and uh, we, we are so excited. Uh, he's been just such a tremendous partner for us and such a big supporter. Uh, and from day one, he's really believed in the future of, you know, obviously remote uh, work, but remote learning as a side effect for that. Um, so, Andreas, with that, I'd love to to talk to you a little bit more about that. I mean, On Deck is probably one of the most uh, talked about names in the last year or so. Why do you think that is? What What did On Deck do that feels fundamentally new to you? Um. Hard one. I, I think I'm very European. I'm very Germanic. Like it's it's really hard for for me to to praise anything I do. It's like against my nature. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> the, like I when I was living in California, it was almost like uh, this was like almost like non compatible, not, not like not working out for me. Um, I, I like my main thing is I believe we have a right moment, um, especially now the last few months uh, with lock the lockdown um, to basically help people achieve their goals in their career a little bit quicker. And um, if you think about it, nowadays, everything is online. Everything is a commodity. Like you have, if you, let's, say, let's say you want to start a company. Um, you have the tech you, online. You can learn it. You know, like there's all the knowledge you need online. There is enough uh, tooling out there to, to get it online and live, you know. 
You have distribution channels like Product Hunt or the App Store. So even that you can do from the middle of nowhere as like an absolute unknown person. The main gatekeeper that's still there is usually around network. And um, what's, what's quite common is like that you start a company in the middle of like anywhere. And your co-founder is a person that you are, that you just happen to know. Your first investor is just a local angel that most likely takes a little bit advantage of you and so on and so on. Like those people are not by default the best people for you or the best people for your business. They're just like the people that you have reached to. The, the idea of OnDeck is essentially to create a community where people who join uh, have access to potentially or hopefully the best people uh, for their specific business, no matter where they are. And uh, now with the lockdown in place, like uh, for a few months, um, a lot of people were like basically rethinking their career, were thinking about starting companies, were anyway by default remote, you know? So it was like a good setup to just join that program at that point. Uh, and I think that these kind of aspects contributed a lot in the last few months. Yeah, 100%. And so one of the things I'm hearing you say is that remote learning evens the playing field. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think I'd be curious to hear what you think are the other side effects of remote learning. Obviously, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but mm -hmm. uh, with education moving to remote, there's just some fundamental things that are different. Uh, in terms of how we're going to get educated and how we're going to network and meet with other people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it's 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 um, there's like a ton of ton of aspects to this. Like on the let's say premium level, uh, it will be harder and harder for universities and for any education branch to justify that anybody is uh, moving to them if equal or better are online first. Um, it will be more and more common for families to do at least after-school activities and additional interests of kids online. There is a company I invested in called uh, Galileo XP.com, which is essentially an online first school, which uh, primarily targets people who want best possible education for their kids and uh, either don't have one locally or are actually just trying to create more like I would say like an founder mindset kind of education for the kid so like a little bit less uh being told what to do and a little bit thinking more thinking on their own um the same is true for like uh adult universities the, the interesting aspect here is like this is like kind of like the more or less like premium level because for example for a family who is from california who pays um several thousand dollars locally for like some local school you know uh, for uh, in that kind of setup to think what could I what kind of education could I provide to my kids for several thousand dollars online the, a good one is the answer you know and there's like obviously shades of gray like downwards um, but it's and like like even like, like only like for a few hundreds obviously but like the other interesting aspect is here also for um like on the other extreme like instead of like the the upper premium level more like the lower end I invested in a company called uh, Davere, uh, which is D-A-W-E-R-E.com, which is a company from Venezuela, uh, who basically tries to make uh, high, high school education in Latin America for free and uh, offers certification, like actual high school certifications uh, at like as low as possible prices. The, the idea here is that Education in many countries is a complete gatekeeper. If you don't, if you happen not to finish your high school, 
in many in many areas like your career is like at risk and their goal is to pretty much like by being online first by being remote first being able to offer like really low rates and low prices for stu- like, uh, students everywhere in latin america so, yeah i can like talk yeah. about this forever like this is one of my favorite topics. no of course of course and and no, I mean, you know, I geek out about education and that's why we run this, you know, this podcast, Reshipping Education, and why we're hosting the summit is, is so we can just geek out and nerd out. Uh, and, and it's, it's funny, you know, while you're talking about this, one of the things I'm realizing is that like, you know, and on deck definitely felt this is with, with education going remote by default, it's not, it's not an intentional decision, but just by default, education becomes global and mm-hmm. more inclusive than it's ever been. Uh, mm-hmm. On deck for for a little bit of context uh, was was only based in San Francisco just up until last year they had they San were Francisco, looking to expand to maybe mm-hmm. maybe New York but but you know if you weren't in these cities you couldn't be a part of these communities same same with Y Combinator so um, Andreas and I met when I was going through Y Combinator last summer and and it was just for for founders who would get admitted into the program you'd have to you know again just like graduate schools you need to put your life on pause move halfway across the world and then and just have to be in this environment and and be forced to learn away from your friends and family and no support system and so that's really hard uh and it was really restrictive and so one of the things is as soon as both these programs went online suddenly they became incredibly more global now is this a good thing in your opinion andreas and if so why i mean i I think this is uh, there's like absolutely no question if this is a good thing like it provides more access for more people globally period like there is nothing bad like there's no way to frame this in a negative way there's a few people who say that uh, you still need in-person interaction and I, I i agree with that like if you think if you look at like typical remote teams they meet in person very very regularly that's uh, like at least once a quarter once half a year and that most likely should be true for education as well that you like to some extent still try to meet other students from your education branch for example, at OnDeck, we do like real life events and this kind of stuff. Um, and, and why Combinator might do the same in future. Um, so that's something that you have to do additionally. But a part of that, there is like no scenario, there's like no alternative future where this is a bad thing. If you are talented and you're based in uh, somewhere Southeast Asia, somewhere Africa, Latin America, Europe, uh, America, it doesn't matter, you know, you should have the best possible access to your opportunities. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is just diversity in thought, mm-hmm. right? I think like generally, like when when you have education that's global, people all around the world are bringing different ideas that you wouldn't get exposure to. I think this is mm-hmm. one of the things about universities get really wrong is so many people come from the same background, so it's the same same kind of thoughts, and it's an echo chamber uh, of similar kind of demographics. But when you have education online, you're forced meet with people around the world and i think for that it actually is going to increase the rate at which information exchange happens and i think it's going to help us solve some of society's biggest problems a lot faster yes and uh, you you also create like completely new like basically through empathy you create new opportunity like people actually understand different cultures because of that they understand different markets because of that and through that they create you create new opportunities like i i think one of the strongest examples here is from my point of view right now uh india india speaks natively english has like an extremely strong talent uh, tech uh, tech talent market has uh multiple uh, billion dollar companies by now who have like whole generations of like experienced people's turning out and 
they are in a prime position to build for the, the, the American market, for example, or the Western European market, you know, and that's like an extremely strong opportunity. And this will be also true, like for anybody, uh, or, or differently put, it will be weird really soon for Stanford not to intentionally attract people uh, studying directly out of India. It will be just like ought to do that, you know, it would be like a decision not to do that. And I think this kind of uh, mindset shift, like this more like global first mindset shift will be like, it will be one of those things that is like, will be very soon, very normal and very obvious. Yeah, no, this is this is absolutely fascinating. There's, there's this big kind of arbitrage opportunity where it's like, hey, you're, you're seeing kind of talent all across the world. Now, how do you how do you take advantage of that? How do you tap into those pools? Uh, yeah. so, some other benefits that I'm seeing, which I'm excited about, is obviously the lower costs. I mean, that's always mm -hmm. been our mission from day one. With virtually, is like the, the, our goal, our mission, and our north star has been: how do you make education more accessible and more affordable? And remote education does both. Because when you traditionally look at universities, one of the reasons they're able to charge so much is, is geography is a, is is a barrier. If you want to learn from these experts, you have to come to them. And if you don't come to them, you don't get the privilege of learning from them. But that's just not the case anymore. So learning yeah. across borders, higher accessibility, lower costs. And then one, one also side effect that I don't think many people talk about is hyper-specialization. Mm -hmm. And I was hinting about this in kind of our kickoffs, but there's this idea of there's all these like very small niches where you could never run an in-person class about that. For example, Andreas, if we wanted to talk about create a class specifically for... I don't know, machine learning for uh, self-driving trucks. The the amount of people, if I created a class in person, I just, nobody would show up. There's just mm -hmm. the one, it'd be hard to find an instructor and it'd be much harder to build a, a substantial class yes. size. But the internet enables marketplace for the smallest niches in the world. And so what I, I'm so excited is that like all these, even though, again, with internets, you can look at percentages. You have to look at absolute numbers. So even if the percentage is 0.001% of people interested in this industry, somebody with the right domain expertise can start a live online school around this topic and build a very profitable business. And it'll be filled with everybody around the world who's passionate about this topic, which in absolute numbers might be small or, or in percentage wise might be small, but might be massive. In terms yes. of absolute numbers, the, there's like multiple angles to see this. Like one, as you call it, is like uh, basically this this niche, like hyper specializations. Like that's one way to see it. Another way is to see it like as deconstruction. Like you don't need to do a three years course to do um, uh, like a program around machine learning for self driving cars. I mean, of course, in this case you do, but <laughs> you get my point. You know, like for many other hyper special, like there's a lot of like things that make sense for a course for like two weeks, one month. That necessarily like for like three years, you know, and it's as soon as you have this mindset, like, hey, if I actually deconstruct education, what else can I do? Like, the, what, what are the patterns like of this, let's call it like course-based education in your case, or like just online education in general? Um, what are the patterns that I can use for other things? There is uh, like a, a big trend around... Um, uh, what's the term for that? Like, I think academias within larger companies to basically build mm. up their own internal resource around like education, essentially. There's companies like uh, Enki.com, which are doing uh, data science for uh, mid-sized to large companies, you know, where you basically can say, hey, here's all the tools we use. Please teach our product managers and teach our customer reps to be able to use our data tools so that they make more educated decisions. 
you know, um, and the data educated decisions. And I think this kind of like deconstruction will be completely normal for a lot of things. You're talking about rapid reskilling. And, and mm -hmm. I think th I hinted about this also in the o opening today, but it's, it's more critical than ever. You know, when we were brought up with this notion that you first learn for the first 22 years of your life and then mm -hmm. you work, it doesn't work anymore. You can't yeah. just learn and work must happen side by side for the mm -hmm. entirety of your life. Uh, and the reason for that is the internet is creating disruption in all these industries so fast that whatever you learned three, five years ago might just not be relevant anymore. And if you yes. are using and depending on those practices, it's going to be a real barrier for you to grow and progress yes. in your career. So you need to be continually reskilling and upskilling. And sometimes, and, and, you know, sometimes graduate schools will make sense. But again, these are two year long programs that cost north of $100,000. What makes more sense is a potentially a cohort based course that's six weeks or a boot camp, which is, you know, maybe as long as nine months, but within under a year, you have valuable skills that will deeply impact. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how we still use like an uh, outdated language for this. So, for example, like we call it reskilling, you know, which is true because that's what it used to be. Like you, you trained the skill, which was your job for like your rest of your life. You know, uh, I'm in the unfortunate position, like in software engineering. Like I, I, everything I learned in university is pretty much gone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, to be fair, it's also like a state-run university, so they were like pretty much also like on the tech part a little bit older back then already. But everything is like gone. Like I had, you have to continuously learn. Like that's like this continuous learning aspect, which a lot of people mention is completely normal. I think um, if if you go, for example, to online MBA programs like stuff like Quantic uh, Quantic Edo and like Quantic School of Technology and this kind of stuff, they uh, and you, you look at the people who do these kind of programs. There's like a lot of people in there who just intentionally do some sort of online education every few quarters it's just like part a way how they basically keep connected to the market keep connected to like literally anything you know uh, the worst thing is maybe you just like catch a few phrases that make you sound smart you know and the, in the best case scenario you learn something new that you can apply next day in your work i think this would be like a very common pattern it's like these kind of like people will become the norm um, the other thing which I uh, kind of see is that we also like we'll rethink a little bit how we um, view education. For example, classic MBA programs, if you ask them why you should pay 150k for an education, the answer will be because we have the best content. And then you're like, okay, but like the content that you have is books that you recommend me to read, which I can buy on Amazon and stuff that you have in your online education platform anyway. So why do I pay 150? And then they say, yeah, it's actually the network and the peer groups you learn from. And all of a sudden, it's like much more about like, oh, wait, it's the cohort I'm learning from. It's like the other people in the room I'm learning from. And this kind of like masterminds, cohorts, continuous education, peer groups, and this kind of stuff, which, for example, like virtually is doing or on is doing, I think this will become like a uh, normal thing for a career. Like if you are, for example, a founder, you have multiple peer groups of like other founders where you like learn from and like around specific topics, you know, if you are a product manager, you have something similar. Like this is how you will think about progressing in your career and in your skill set. Yeah. And one of the things you said there, which really resonated with me is you can learn something that you can apply to work the next day. And that 
that is something that we haven't had before because I took Andreas, I took this class in college called entrepreneurship marketing you know, four and a half years ago. Guess That's- what? That the content from that class would be incredibly valuable now, but it was delivered at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. It was delivered at a time where it wasn't really relevant to what I was doing. I was about to enter a career of software engineering, and now all the material has faded. And so mm-hmm. the problem with university isn't necessarily the curriculum. I think that's a part of it, but it's education delivered at the wrong time, mm-hmm. but long before you need it. Yes. The great thing about these short-term programs is that you take, you get that learning when you need it. Yes. So rather than me learning, trying to digest all this content and then decide I'm never going to learn again, I can basically take a cohort-based course or a bootcamp course every three to five years, learn exactly what I need to, and then apply it. And because I've yes. applied my knowledge, it's going to stick with me. Yes. And uh, there's like so many thoughts around this. Uh, so first of all, I, I, I fully agree here. Like it's the whole deconstruction, right? That you mentioned before. It's all of a sudden, it's much more specialized what I could actually need or use. And it's much more about like specific people who are also in those cohorts or it's specific knowledge that I'm looking for or specific opinion leaders who I want to learn from. And as you know, like with trends, it goes on in, in our industry, like opinion leaders like change every few months, you know, <laughs> it's almost like hard to keep up. But there's always like somebody interesting to learn from, from a very, like a very short moment. You know what I mean? So, um, I think we will like, I, I think like how you framed it was nice. Like we will like rethink how we approach this. It will be much more, um, almost like what if I have a dedicated time in my, uh, week or quarter where I intentionally try to do additional education for myself. It's either through books or courses or anything else that I can do. And um, I think that the interest is uh, in, in, in the market is like huge for that. I, 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 I think this is like how people are nowadays like trying to stay up to date. Um, it's going to be like it's a, it's a new normal from my point of view. Yeah. And, and Andreas, I feel like a lot of people might be thinking like, oh, you know, learning, taking courses, this, this sounds draining. But, but, you know, at least from my experiences, it's actually the reason that it's draining in college is because you can't apply it and you can't mm-hmm. see how it would be applied. But now I'm taking these courses, like, for example, I went through YC and everything I learned through YC was just so relevant. And it was so exciting to learn because it's like, hey, I'm running a business now. The fact that I can apply this right now makes me want to learn. It makes me Mm -hmm. want to engage. Whereas when I'm learning, you know, literature or discrete mathematics, I don't see how it could be applied. And so I'm not excited about it. And so now I, you know, while I felt like I hated learning in college, I feel like I'm excited to take courses and I've been yes. taking courses continuously for the past year or so. And I think I will continue to do so. And if I, if, if I could do it again, instead of spending $180,000 on my college degree, I would in, on four years, I would spend $1,000 on courses and books every year for the rest of my life, 180 years. <laughs> uh, let's put this on record. Uh, yeah, I fully agree here. Also, like the interesting thing is like I had a teacher in university who always told me that you, uh, you don't go to university to learn how to do things. You, you learn, go to university to learn how to think about things. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, cool. Does this mean I can like skip all like half of my classes because like they try to teach me something I should do, but it's like feels outdated, you know? 
Um, so yeah, uh, um, especially around the like uh, go get doing aspect, I think this will completely deconstruct from like academias within workplaces that will be just like a normal benefit to uh, personal uh, uh, development uh, as like as a human being, you know, and just like having courses around that what's interesting to you, up to career development and just like getting to know more and more people in your peer group, learning from them, having like accountability buddies essentially, you know. Yeah, from my point of view, there's no way back. Exactly, exactly. It's it's a bright future, but I want to shift gears a little bit, Andreas, and talk about, you know, 10 years ago, we had a similar trend. There is, uh, uh, let us not forget our history, uh, because in 2011, in the fall, a few Stanford computer science professors la launched so one of the biggest uh, massive open online classes which kicks off the MOOC movement and uh, leading to the founding of Coursera and Udacity. And people in 10 years ago were just as excited. Uh, you know, we had just come out of a recession and people were saying that, hey, MOOCs are the future. Uh, this, this is what the future of education looks like, but we're looking back a decade later and it doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. What do you think's different about now? Or do you feel like court-based courses are headed to a similar fate? Like moves. Yeah, like the um, the main reasoning I have here personally, that's like just my POV on this, and I'm not the expert. My POV is that the content itself is a commodity. And even if the content comes from Stanford and from extremely smart professors, like it's essentially a commodity. Um, the interesting parts are usually like how applicable is it like to me right now like that's one aspect and the other part is like getting to know the other people who are in the same kind of courses you know most of the MOOCs uh, uh struggled with engagement and retention they're basically like hey here's how a whole like it's essentially a library you know yes you have a library in your city and there's like every book you will ever need doesn't mean that most people go to the library you know, and it's also like not really like an accessible thing for you. Like, okay, I need a book about my specific problem right now by people that I trust, a person I trust. You you won't go to the library and ask. You will look online for for the right thing. Best case, you know. What I mean, so I, I think it's the wrong format. But I think that's the like looking back in hindsight. You know, but that being said, one uh, a few interesting aspects it created. It also like made people aware of the fact that content and uh, the knowledge itself is actually a commodity and it uh, leveled a little bit the playing fields uh, internationally it, it allowed access to the content for, to a lot more people globally without mystifying it which is i think a good thing in hindsight yeah and and you know i think the way that i've i've talked to a few other people about it and it seems like MOOCs weren't as much of a failure as it was a step stone. you know mm -hmm. we have online education 1.0 and we have online education 2.0 and online education 1.0 was about accessibility at the time, we had all this information out in the world, and we just needed to get it online. Mm -hmm. And MOOCs was a part of that story. It helped get this information online and created this commodity you're talking about. Whereas online education 2.0 is very fundamentally different. It's about outcomes. You know, we saw with MOOCs, you know, the completion rate was as low as 4%. People were not like buying these and never even attending the first class or, mm -hmm. uh, or getting through one lecture and then dropping off. And people realized that there had to be a better way to engage students. And that's when we saw this cohort-based course model really launch with Alt-MBA, Lambda School, and now on deck. Yes. Uh, and it's been about outcomes. So it, it's not necessarily, I think, MOOCs were a failure as much as they served a different purpose. And yes. we're seeing now a very engaging format.
for online it's, magazines? Uh, like A, I don't think you can just like copy a format and bring it to a new media. I think that's like one classic mistake we do all, all over and over again. If like if this would be possible, we would like just have one of one one to one copies of books online, and this would how we would learn about everything. You know. We don't. Um, and in a way, MOOCs are kind of like books here. Like they're like a, a really, really big source of resource that doesn't feel actionable to you, doesn't feel engaging to you, doesn't like keep you accountable and so on and so on. Um, it's basically a, a verbatim copy of like a uh, format for different kind of media. It can work like in details, like there's ways to make it nuanced. There's ways to make it work. There's ways, ways to make it like a supplemental thing to like other forms of education, you know? So like it's not a, from my point of view, it's not like a, a, a failure in that sense. It's just, as you mentioned, like it's like V1 in a way, like V2 from my point of view is closer to like, if we had books, now we have like, at some point we had blogs, you know, and at some point we, we had Twitter and at some point we had like video and so on and so on. And like, I wonder what, like, what is the V1, V2, V3, V4 of education? So like right now we are like V2, which is like essentially equivalent to blogs. Like you have a specific provider, uh, makes very short pointed comments. You, 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 you consume something that's like comparably short, you know? You share it with others, they also like get it and so on and so on. Um, I wonder what's like the Twitter version of education. I wonder what's the, I don't know, like the video version of education and so on. It's like, I mean, the metaphor doesn't really work here, you know, but like, I think you get the idea. Yeah, what fascinating insight and, and a great, great point to close off the conversation as well. Andreas, we really appreciate you joining today. If, if the audience here wants to keep up with you on social media and, and follow along yeah, yeah. with you yeah. how and learn more about on deck, how can they do that? Uh, first name, last name on Twitter. Um, uh, my DMs are open. Feel free to message me. Um, I like I don't use LinkedIn. I don't use pretty much anything else. Uh, like ping me on Twitter, DM me on Twitter if you have any questions that I can help. Yeah, and Andreas, as you know, today's a big day and milestone. Not only are we hosting the Reshaping Education Summit, but virtually after eight months of grinding and building, we've launched on Product Hunt. For, so anybody on the audience, uh, we have a pinned link at the top of the chat for our Product Hunt launch. If you would be able to support us, it would mean the world and I, it would make Andreas and I very happy. Cool. Yeah, with that, thank you, Andreas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Hey, Ish here. If you enjoyed that episode, Will and I would love for you to leave a review and to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. If you want to keep up when new episodes drop, head on over to reshapingeducationpodcast.com or give Will and I a follow on Twitter. All the links will be in the show notes. With that, this is Ish and Will signing off.